Good morning, and welcome to episode 513 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, a writer for Grantland.com, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hi. Hi. Good to be here. Yeah. <laughs> what comes next? On your show. On your show. It's good to be here on your show. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Hey, Ben. <laughs> yeah. I learned something uh, while I was at Area Code Games. What's that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email you uh, real quick. Uh, so the one I just sent you, not the first one I sent you, but the second one I sent you, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a, uh, it should be a link to an MLB.com article. Yes. Open it up and read me the first sentence. I want to see if you also... <laughs> Ray's minor league outfielder Josh Sale has been suspended again. Exactly. Yes. It's pronounced Josh Sale. Everybody knows Josh Sale's name is Josh Sale. It's pronounced Sally. Huh. Now that you S- say that, I feel like I know that. S A L E. Sally. Yeah. That's that sounds familiar now. So uh, Josh Sally is in the news today. So I'm just this is a public service. Everybody mm-hmm. now can hear it mm-hmm. in the correct pronunciation. Mhm. Okay. Uh, another, another Ray suspension, although it's the same same guy in this case. So, the, did you just say that that's another racist pension? <laughs> another Ray's suspension. I see. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know what to make of this one. Yeah. I, in a way, generally speaking, uh, so there's um, this article actually, the one I sent you, has some scathing quotes from like his teammates like uh joe Joe madden does the never heard of the kid kind of like totally dismisses him like uh you know i don't know the kid really well kind of a thing like totally missed the chance to support him so probably intentional and then kevin kiermeyer uh rips him pretty hard in a series of quotes and i get the instinct and i'm not sure that it's the wrong instinct uh, Sally, by the way, has uh, been suspended for the second time for what is presumably a drug of recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get the instinct, but the the first time a guy gets popped for a drug of recreation, I think, what an idiot. What mm-hmm. a moron. What's he doing? He's got this huge career. He's got people who, res- who rely on him. Uh, get your act together. Get your life together. But then the second time it happens... Then I start thinking, boy, addiction is mm-hmm. really, it's tough. It's troubling. Right. We, we don't know the story at this point. We don't know if he's just a guy who likes to party or if he's got a real addiction. And so it's weird because the even though getting suspended twice is twice as bad a screw-up as getting suspended once, mm-hmm. the second one makes me, I get more uncomfortable about, about ripping the guy's, um, you know, attitude or whatever. Yeah. On the other hand, on the other hand, um, seems like n- people have had issues with Sally's makeup forever, and Kiermaier presumably knows him, um, and Joe Madden, despite what he says, also presumably knows him. And so, if they're they, they, maybe they're better judges of the situation than I am, mm-hmm. of course they're better judges of the situation than I am. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's I think that's probably the right way to look at it. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. good. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Nope. 
So I uh, sent you another link. Man, so many links. Okay. Um, And so this one was written by Dan Samborski for ESPN. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, of course, yesterday, uh, Tuesday, was the 20th anniversary of the first day of the 1994 strike. Yes. And... uh, I don't know. Do you remember that strike very well? Uh, not really. I I was aware of baseball, but I wasn't following it on a day to day basis at that point. It wasn't uh, it wasn't a tragedy in my young life. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it. I don't remember if it was a tragedy for me or not um, to have the season canceled. It probably was, but uh, it probably was, but it uh, wasn't such a big one that I remember it being that. But uh, what I do remember is that the season was completely bananas up to that point. It, you had this feeling that this was going to be the greatest season of all time. Uh, this was really the year that offensive numbers exploded. And so you were seeing you know, plenty of guys on record-type paces. And you also had, in the midst of this, Craig Maddox on a record-type pace mm-hmm. uh, as a pitcher. And there were just incredible things happening, and you had this feeling that that amazing things would have happened. And I, I know that there's a tendency for us to compress history and to uh, remember the more dramatic moments as bigger than they were and to overstate maybe how significant things that were happening at the time felt at the time. There, this is always a problem when we remember history. Mm-hmm. But 1994, I don't think this is me deluding myself. So Sports Illustrated... For instance, uh, two weeks after the piece ran, uh, the piece ran, the strike happened. Uh, they ran a piece, which I remember um, from the time, um, in which they pretended the season had kept going and tracked all of these records uh, to see whether it would have would have uh, happened. And I forget what the headline was, but I mean, there was clearly a sense even then, ten days after the strike mm-hmm. began, there was clearly a sense that we had lost something great. And this article that they wrote was was somewhat, at somewhat, mostly to be funny, um, but all the same, it was it, it gave you an indication of how many things were worth paying attention to in the final month and a half. And of course, uh, the the expos. And this is something I just learned recently too. I knew the expos had a good farm system, and that they were that was the year that their farm system had come together. And after the strike, as we talked to with Jonah. They weren't able to keep that group together, mm-hmm. uh, and they had to, that. That was basically their last season that they got to keep them together. Be, maybe partly because they lost all the revenue that they would have gotten if they'd won the World Series. But the Expos that year had a team that had been a top four farm system uh, by Baseball America for seven years in a row, hmm. wow. which is incredible when you think about like what sort of talent. I think how excited. <laughs> and they were the best team in baseball too. They were the best team in baseball that year, yeah. So imagine how excited we would be about a team that was gelling after seven years of being, you know, the the totally top farm system. We would just be so excited. I didn't even realize that at the time, but it's impressive that you could go seven years without either having it fall apart to the point that you were no longer ranked that high, or making the playoffs, or you know, being doing something what? with all that talent. Yeah, right. It's it's yeah impressive or it's the opposite yes of impressive uh-huh. uh and so anyway to get to the point uh so uh, dan Zimborski um 
uh, was able to do better than that imagine that that Sports Illustrated writer imagining the final month could do. Uh, he ran Zips, his projection system, to project some of what might have happened in 1994, um, and I sent that to you. Mm-hmm. And I also got Pakoda rerun for 1994, mm-hmm. and I looked at some of the same questions to see what our results would have been. Um, and so I have a, a few of those. Cool. Um, so, uh, so you're looking at it, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so Matt Williams had 43 home runs, and he needed, of course, 61 in the final. I think 47 games. Yeah, 47 games. Uh, and at that point, he was getting like 4.4 plate appearances a game. So he basically had. Uh, why did I say those numbers? That makes it seem like I'm going to do math. <laughs> Ignore the fact that I said the plate appearances. <laughs> 47 games to hit basically 19 home runs to set the record. And so uh, Dan says that uh, the majority of them say that he would have finished with something like 56 home runs, but the simulations also show a 36% chance of Williams hitting at least number 61. Mm-hmm. Which is a really good chance. Yeah, way way better than than my method. Uh-huh. Uh, using Pakoda and using a, a simple uh, what is it a binomial distribution? Is that what you call mm-hmm. it? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, using uh, Pakoda and a binomial distribution uh, calculator, uh, we have him with a. Four percent chance to tie and a two percent chance to break the record, hmm. and so Matt Williams. I mean, the, one of the reasons it would have been so interesting to see Matt Williams break the record uh, years before Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa is that Mark, Matt Williams was not a particularly legendary home run hitter. He was much mm-hmm. more like Roger Maris. He and Maris had almost the exact same career warp, forty-one and forty-three. Uh, Williams didn't hit. Four home runs in his career. Like Maris, he never hit 40 in a season. And basically the pace he was on at that point would have taken him to 61. And so he was he had no no padding. He had no give. Mm-hmm. Um, this was like the greatest four months of his life. And he would have had to keep the greatest four months going into the next greatest two months of his life. To, to break it. And so Pakoda thinks that he would have hit, you know, Pakoda thinks he's a guy who would hit a home run every like 15 or so plate appearances, which is what he usually hit. And um, that wouldn't generally get him there. That's why it's, it's a hard sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that really the question that we have to answer is whether we think that um, Pakoda is likely to understate the likelihood of an outlier performance in general. Because, like, I mean, I used a, I mean, a binomial distribution looks for outlier performances given a known rate of a thing happening. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't incorporate the fact that your projection is wrong and that your projection has missed something. And that seems to be what a lot of outlier results come from, is that we... We don't just see a lot of lucky spins, but we see various circumstances that conspire to make the guy better than he is or worse than he is, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, 4% or 36%, that's a huge difference. <laughs> yeah. Do you um, come down anywhere there? 
and I guess it's not that different from our our discussion of Pakoda rest of season projections and whether we can beat those, right? It's like the question of whether Williams was doing something special that year. He was at the peak of his powers and and you know whatever combination of experience and perfect timing and reflexes that he had that year made him made him truly a more talented player than he ever was at any other time or maybe he was just especially locked in mechanically for whatever reason that year and uh, so maybe that's why he hit all those home runs maybe it wasn't just a bunch of balls flukily going a few feet over the fence or, or whatever it was him actually being better but would he have continued to be better I, I don't I don't know. I, I guess if, I, if a guy to, hits 43 home runs like way above his career rate, does that make it slightly more likely that he is actually doing something different and that you should expect him to continue to do that differently? Because it doesn't seem like the population as a whole would. Yeah, I have to... I, I actually think that it's something slightly different that we're talking about. Um, the way I'm thinking of it is more like, okay, so, so Pakoda gives me a mean... It gives me an average. And when you plug that average into a binomial distribution, it is hard to get it up to an extreme outlier situation. Like it's there's a 150 plate appearances or whatever is a long time to keep a fluke rate going. And so that makes sense to me. But now so imagine that instead of that mean, let's say there were ten Matt Williamses and the at the bottom you have the you know the tenth percentile guy is gonna hit no home runs. Because, I mean, that's part of what Pakoda does, is it uh, looks at historically what all players have done before them and tries and finds all the different career paths the guy can take and then averages them together into a sort of a mean. And so imagine that there are, there are 10 guys, 10 paths that Matt Williams could take in tr- terms of true talent level. And one of those paths is that he, uh, you know, he, he shoots heroin that night and never gets another hit. And mm-hmm. one of the paths... So that's 10%. 10% of the time, you know, uh, sorry, 10% of the Matt Williamses just never get another hit. And then 10% of the Matt Williamses hit 85 home runs because they're insanely good, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so the average gives you a, a guy who uh, is unlikely to get there. And so, you would, you know, the average, you would look at it and say, okay, he's got a 4.3% chance. But we know for a fact that he's got at least a 10% chance because there's one guy in his 10 who hits 85 home runs. And so, does, does this make sense? Like, yeah. the, average, the average kind of dilutes the power of the outlier. Yeah. By Although, probably less than that makes it sound because... There probably isn't a ten percent, you know. There probably isn't no, a ten percent Matt Williams who hits eighty-five hypo- home runs. Right, but hypothetically, you might have a case where mm-hmm. there is, and yet in his mean projection, you would have you would still end up with a four percent chance of him breaking the record, which is impossible, right? Like mm-hmm. that would that would be a contradiction. And so, so what I'm saying is that maybe just maybe the method that I used, not really. I don't even want to say Pakoda because. Pakoda, Pakoda might simulate this and get a totally different result and might get something like Dan's result, or Dan's result might be wrong. Um, but uh, the, the method I used of taking the mean per- performance and then just basically 
running a series of coin flips for a season and not incorporating the all of the different ways that that performance fluctuates maybe is under undershooting it. However, I do have to say it seems unlikely to me. Thirty six percent seems very high. To me. Yeah, I, I would have. Not, if you had asked me bad. to guess, I would have. For whatever it's worth, I would have guessed closer to Pakoda's. Probably maybe a little higher than Pakoda's, but not a whole lot. My suspicion, and I haven't looked, but my suspicion is that in an, in an entire career, 17-year career, very distinguished career, uh, my suspicion is that Matt Williams never again hit 18 home runs in 47 games. Uh-huh. Just a, just a suspicion. I don't know that that's true. He might have. He did start the next year very, very well. He was... He was um, if you added his two, the 1994 season and the start of his 1995 season together, mm-hmm. you'd get he would have been within spitting distance. Um, he hit, uh, uh, he hit, let's see, uh, 13 in the first 36 games, and then mm-hmm. he broke his leg. And so at that point, he would have needed five in 11, which is a higher pace than than he had been hitting, but. Mm-hmm. Anybody could hit. I mean, any literally any major leaguer could hit five home runs in eleven games. Caleb Joseph uh, could do it. Caleb Joseph could do it. Yeah, but probably won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's part of what makes Maris um, uh, Williams interesting is that he started so so hot, but uh, then he broke his leg, and when he came back, he didn't hit many. And yeah, so my guess is that this is a this would have been a, a daunting challenge for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like the I I like the alternate universe where Matt Williams who nobody thinks of as a juicer mm-hmm. and yet he is like he, he actually was caught <laughs> buying steroids mm-hmm. uh, $11,600 worth of HGH steroids and other drugs in 2002 long after this mm-hmm. uh, I like the idea that that he would have been uh, I don't know if I like the idea it's sort of a depressing <laughs> idea yeah. but it adds a twist uh-huh. yes. all right Let's see. What else does Dan write about? Dan does not write about Tony Gwynn. I did do Tony Gwynn. Tony uh-huh. Gwynn was hitting 394 and um, had 400 and what? How many plate appearances? I don't know how many plate appearances he had. 458? Yeah, he had 458 plate appearances. So he basically needed 50 more plate appearances and uh, to qualify. And he needed to add six points of batting average to get the 400. You want to guess what? Tony Gwynn's chances were? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if it would be higher, or I'll, I'll say higher than Williams, um, but not by much. Mm-hmm. 7%? Um, yeah, it's actually, so this is actually much lower than Williams. Huh. Um, and so Pakoda. Pakoda, interestingly, and, and I think that you can see why this is the case, Pakoda didn't think that Tony Gwynn was anywhere near a true talent 394 hitter. It mm-hmm. projects a slash line of him for him of 312, 361, 419. And if you look at, so he's hitting 394 this year. The year before he hit 358, so this might seem absurd. But then the year before that, 317. year before that, 317. year before that, 309. Um, Tony Gwynn was a, a regular batting champion, at that uh, earlier in his career, and then um, what maybe people forget is that at 30, he sort of hit um, he hit a a three year stretch where he wasn't as good. He didn't win any batting titles for four years. Mm-hmm. He had the three lowest 
basically the th- three of the four lowest batting averages of his career. Uh, and then uh, things went crazy after that. Um, he won four batting titles, and in a five-year period from age 33 to age 37, he hit 368. Mm-hmm. So I think knowing what we know now, yeah. it's, it's clear that Tony Gwynn was much better than mm-hmm. what Pakoda was reasonably assuming. However, Pakoda didn't know what was going to happen right. uh, after that. So it thinks that he was a 312 true talent hitter. He was old. He was slowing down. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing as much. So it gives him like like a half of a percent chance of doing this. Uh-huh. Gwyn, Gwyn, I found no fewer than three cases. Gwyn would have basically, if you assume that Gwyn would have taken, say, five games off over the course of the final 45 games and get, say, 150 at-bats, he would have needed to hit 420 mm-hmm. to, to break that record or to, to top 400. Three times that I found, without looking necessarily all that hard but three times i found of him doing uh, hitting at least 420 over at least 150 at bats um including the previous season when he had hit 426 over 200 at bats uh, a couple years later he hit 429 over 170 at bats and even the next year he started the next year he didn't quite get to 150 but he started the next year hitting uh 447 in the first, uh, you know, dozen games or so, first 50 at bats. So uh, I think that this one undersells his chances. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I think that it's probably fair to just knowing that he had to hit 420 over the course of 150 at bats puts it in perspective. I mean, he did do it three or so times in his career, but he didn't do it almost all the other times. Mm-hmm. And so it, it is really hard. It's probably harder than we realized. Being hit 394 is. Actually, what number? Okay, so let me ask you this: What number do you think you would have to be at with 150 at bats remaining to be a 50-50 chance? Because hmm. I think we think 400. Like I think most people think if he was at 401, that oh, he probably would have done it, or he coin flips chance. I would guess that it probably would have had to be something like four, four thirteen, maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say like 420 maybe. Just I mean because knowing what we know that he was a, a almost 370 hitter over that five season stretch even if we even if we assume that he was say a a 350 actual true talent hitter over that period maybe um if you gave him a if you gave him a 20 point cushion and and he just hit his regular 350 over that final 150 plate appearances that would be that'd be close I guess and and he was maybe even better than that so so yeah I if you spotted him 15 20 points I'd say he'd have a a decent shot Mm -hmm. uh Tony Gwynn by the way I remember reading uh the day he died I remember reading an old article about him in Sports Illustrated and he said this was in 1984 he said at least for me, hitting 400 is impossible. Hmm. So hmm. he got close. Yeah, um, he did it over a longer than a season stretch. Yes, he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, all right, all right, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention Griffey had, according to Pagoda's um, numbers, uh, about a, a half a percent chance of tying or breaking Maris's record himself. Mm-hmm. 
Um, okay. All right. So, uh, and one more from, from me, and then uh, we'll finish off with the expos. Uh, Chuck Knobloch, do you remember? Do you know even? See, this is probably the <laughs> kids of today probably don't even realize that Chuck Knobloch almost did something great. Do you remember I what Chuck Knobloch what was, was doing? What was he going to do? Chuck Knobloch was on pace at the time to break the doubles record, uh-huh. which has been even more impenetrable than the home run record. I mean, obviously, but mm-hmm. like nobody, nobody makes a real run at the doubles record. Um, and usually, usually someone will be around May or so, and then they'll hit, you know, yeah, like seven doubles for the Machado rest of the year. last year. Exactly. So nobody ever tops 60 and the record is 67. Uh, Knobloch had 45 already in early August, 109 games and needed, so needed 22 doubles in, uh, whatever, 49 games. And Pakoda likes his chances much less. He needed more home runs. Uh, he needed more doubles than Williams needed home runs. And Pakoda actually thinks that he's less likely to hit a double than Matt Williams was to hit a home run. And that's probably, that's probably a fair assumption. I mean, doubles are flukier, and it's not like Knobloch was ever a doubles king before that. In fact, the year before, in 700 plate appearances, he hit 27. And the year before that, in 700 plate appearances, he hit 19. And he never again topped 36, never led the league. This was a total fluke, it seems. It didn't at the time. At the time, it seemed incredible. Uh, but Pagoda gives him a 0.1% chance, a 1 in 1,000 chance uh-huh. of breaking Earl Weaver. Earl Weaver? Earl Weaver? What's that guy's name? Earl. Oh, Earl Webb. Earl Webb. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Uh, Earl Webb. All right, last one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Expos. I I didn't do anything on this. Too complicated. Mm-hmm. But Dan did. So I'll just read what Dan wrote. Coming off seasons of blah blah, the Expos stood at a 6.49 winning percentage on a 105 win pace. It wasn't smoke and mirrors. The team was first in the RA. Third in runs scored, only a single player on the wrong side of 30. That's incredible. 24 mm-hmm. players that were 29 or younger. Yeah, that's amazing. Incredible. Jeez. I guess that's what you'd expect a team that had, had the best farm system for seven years to have. I'm going to go reread Jonah's book today. I'm so excited <laughs> about this Expos team. Zips projects this dominance would have continued with a team averaging 101 win finish in the simulations and a 12% chance of winning the World Series, both tops among MLB teams. Uh, that's interesting uh, that it's only a 12% chance of winning the World Series because that would imply, because there was no wild card at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a wild card. There was no wild card play-in game. So that means that they're a 1-8 in eight chance and this gives them a 1-8 in eight chance. So either Dan just uses the default and treats the postseason as literal coin flips. Or he thinks that despite this, that the Braves might have beaten them anyway. The Braves were, what, five and a half back? I don't know. Something like that. So maybe he thinks that the Braves might have uh, pinched off some of their playoff odds by winning the division. The Mm -hmm. most likely simulated worlds, although I guess then they would have been the wild card anyway, probably. Yep. So that seems low to me. Uh, The most likely simulated World Series featured Montreal, led by Larry Walker and Moise Salou taking the series over the New York Yankees, which would have been the third consecutive World Series championship for Canada. A World Series for the Expos might have done a lot to reverse the franchise's fortunes. All right. That's it. Mm-hmm. So 
So, well, so maybe we should we we postpone the listener email show to tomorrow, which we probably should have mentioned earlier. But we did get one 1994 strike related email that maybe is relevant now um, from Eric Hartman, so, who cites Dane Perry's article about this for CBS Sports and and other people's articles about this, and he says that does sound like a lot to lose. So I was curious if this is anomalous or if every season would have had would have a similar list of accomplishments in play with seven weeks left in the season. Can you think of a season that had the least interesting pennant race on both a player and team level that would have been better to cancel the 1994? Uh, I guess the... the What about this year? Is there a... (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, so that's... So is this... So we've we've established that, okay, Gwynn was going after this record. Williams was going after this record. It was unlikely that either of them would would have broken it. Or achieved it if the season had continued. So, there's, in a way, yeah. I mean, we might have, you know, forgotten about those seasons if not for having them end when they did. If if they had just, you know, finished up and Gwyn had hit 375 and Williams had hit 50 homers or something, then they wouldn't be talked about all that much. But because they were interrupted when history was still possible, we talk about them all the time. And yeah. and of course, the Expos would have been. A good, a great story, and it might have changed the history of the franchise. But it wasn't like the Expos were a historically dominant team. They were, you know, on pace for 105 wins. Probably wouldn't have even gotten there. So, you know, there's and if, a. And if they a, hadn't, if they hadn't contracted, or if they hadn't moved, I should say, mm-hmm. we wouldn't know that this was significant. This would that's, have just been like an attack that never happened. That's true. Also, yeah. So, is this uh, is this the sort of thing where we remember it more because oh, of how it ended? Am I, I ruining ninety four? I said at the beginning that this is not the case. That it is just how we remember it. Uh, <laughs> but maybe it is. I mean, if this season ended right now, um, we would be upset. We'd be deprived of some pretty good pennant races. I guess there's no real historic uh, player performance just because of maybe the offensive environment and how we're interested in counting stats and everything and counting stats are down and rate stats are down. And so no one's, no one's really challenging any records. So, so there's that, I guess. And, and there's no team on pace to be the best team ever or anything. So we're, we'd be losing some, some good pennant races and some good team stories and, that's probably the case with most seasons, I would think. I mean, there's not always someone on pace to do something amazing in mid-August. There are a couple of other things that were happening. Frank Thomas uh, was in a, a had a shot to win the Triple Crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very close to the leaders in all three. Uh, Jeff Bagwell and he were both on pace to top 100 extra base hits for the first time since 1948. Uh, both were on pace to top 160 RBIs for the first time since 1938 and could have even topped 170. Greg Maddox had a 1.56 ERA, um, and um, in the offensive environment he was doing that in, he was on pace to set the modern record for pitcher war. Uh, Other than Thomas, maybe those things wouldn't have been a big deal to us. They wouldn't have been... Mm -hmm. I mean, they didn't even exist, one of them, yet, but... Total bases and everything, that's something that just would have happened a little later just because of the offensive environment. Yeah, yeah. So, But um, 
I'm just saying that there were, besides the records, I feel like it was, it the, the, not, the game, everything that was happening felt novel at the time. Now, it felt novel at the time partly because this was all new. We we hadn't we were just getting into the offensive boom. We didn't we hadn't seen anybody put up numbers like these. It was scary to look at Jeff Bagwell's line at the time. Mm-hmm. It was like what this is the greatest. I mean, it felt like it, that it might have been the greatest batting line uh, ever mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and we hadn't seen you know Pedro be insane and and uh, in in such a hitting environment too. So uh, so. Like the just the individual performances were shocking, so I think that uh, this this now becomes slightly harder to say, but I think that it was a great season anyway. I think we would have felt like it was a great season, regardless mm-hmm. of whether these records had been broken. But also, I mean, a, a a good chase is almost as good as the record being broken. We haven't had a real four hundred threat. What's the last real four hundred th- threat we've had? I mean, just getting to August with a guy hitting 394 is mm-hmm. can make a season. Yeah. So I don't know that you need the records to set this season apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I not agree to, uh, that it like, was an above like average what, season. What will this season be notable for? If this season ended today, what would we talk about? Like, what will we say we lost? Felix Hernandez had some weirdo streak going that takes four minutes to describe. Like <laughs> every, he has seven innings with two or fewer runs, but only earned runs for sixteen mm-hmm. straight games. Uh, I mean, maybe Mike Trout's first MVP. Um, maybe, 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 <laughs> or maybe or MVP. Jose Abreu's season. And it's not like his season. Yeah, Abreu, maybe Abreu's mm-hmm. season. I mean, it's not like even Trout's season is is unusual. This is basically his season. He's having the same season he's had for the last two years. Right. People barely pay attention to Mike Trout anymore. <laughs> yeah, maybe he should say something interesting once in a while. Uh, Kershaw, I don't know, maybe, but Kershaw missed time, and it's mm-hmm. not like he's, he's not going to set any records. He's having almost the exact same season he had last year from a, from a traditional standard uh, stats standard, it, mm-hmm. it's not like if he maybe if he hadn't missed any of that time, he might be threatening twenty-seven wins or something like that. But he's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk about uh, Oakland, you know, winning their first World Series potentially or their first. They could getting getting to it. Yeah, it's just that they've been to the playoffs the last two years. This is not like the Expos exactly where it's maybe, this. Maybe the Royals, the first place Kansas City Royals. Maybe the Royals, but they're not running away with it. They're no. not. They're clearly not a dominant team. Uh, all of these things are fine, but Royals, years from Brewers, probably not unless the, the Royals. The Brewers won the division to, like two years ago, or something the, like that. If the Royals fail to make the playoffs for the next twenty years again, and then yeah. and this is the closest that they came, then people would be talking about that. Yeah, like yeah, as you note, some of the things that we remember, we remember them partly because we can imagine what would have happened, and partly because we know what actually did happen. Mm-hmm. And so, for Gwyn, for instance, knowing that he went on this incredible batting average run makes it even more compelling. And knowing that the Expos had that horrible future makes it more compelling. Yeah. Um, and so we don't know 
We don't Derek, know that. Derek Jeter would be deprived of retirement gifts. This is this is the best reason for. <laughs> we should stop this strike. Now. <laughs> yeah, we should all strike. Yes. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So we'll we'll do a listener email show tomorrow instead. So you you can still send us some emails. We could still use some emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com. Subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will be back tomorrow.